Welcome to Rail Group On Air, a production of Railway Age, Railway Track and Structures, and International Railway Journal. This is Railway Age Editor-in-Chief William C. Vantuono. This podcast features an in-depth discussion with Union Pacific Chief Operating Officer Jim Vena on Unified Plan 2020, UP's version of PSR, Precision Scheduled Railroading. Our podcast sponsor is the Greenbrier Companies, which now offers an innovative new way for rail car customers to inspect build quality. This is Virtual Sample Rail Car, which remotely brings you into the Greenbrier plant from the convenience of your own conference room or home office. Virtual Sample Rail Car, or VSR, is designed around optimizing the customer experience providing full access to a sample rail car while significantly reducing travel time and cost. It gives all the information and details needed to determine that your rail cars meet all specifications and will be delivered as ordered. Here's how VSR works. Narrated high-resolution video follows the build of your sample rail car throughout the entire production line, just like walking the line. Extremely high-resolution photos allow you to zoom in and inspect every detail, while the 360-degree feature gives you multiple angles for a thorough examination. You'll see valves, gates, and hatches in operation, as well as other critical railcar components like trucks and couplers being measured and tested. During a final live stream inspection from the plant's buy-off area, you can ask questions during a session with Greenbrier experts who know your new rail cars inside and out. A process that normally takes three or more days is reduced to just one hour. Check out VSR at go.gbrx.com virtual. That's go.gbrx.com slash V-I-R-T-U-A-L. Jim Vena spent 40 years at CN before retiring in June 2016 as Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer. In January 2019, he came out of retirement to join Union Pacific as COO. Jim and I got together at Railway Age's New York City headquarters on March 9th to talk about Unified Plan 2020 and how it's changing and improving the way UP serves its customers. Uh, Jim, you uh, you came out of retirement after 40 years with uh, CN, right? Absolutely. And uh-huh. uh, listen, great company, CN. Enjoyed my time. And uh, after 40 years, it was uh, time to go out and enjoy myself. Mm-hmm. Spent a couple of years, two and a half years off, and mm-hmm. then just the right opportunity came up and I came back to work with Union Yeah, Pacific. I was I was going to ask you what uh, it, it's I, I know from experience talking to people at at, uh, at all levels of the industry that it's very hard to retire and a lot of people unretire <laughs> and have a sort of a second life, a second career and that's that's the direction that uh, that you took. Uh, yeah, listen, I wasn't looking for uh, anything. I, I truly wasn't. I, you know, uh, You'd have to be an idiot, the jobs I had, to not be able to retire and enjoy life. And, and I uh-huh. really was. I traveled all over. I went to Mount Everest Base Camp, uh, uh-huh. went through Nepal, uh, Tibet, and down to Patagonia, as we talked about earlier. So I was doing all the things that, uh, you know, you could never take three weeks off on the railroad while you were working mm-hmm. the different jobs I had. So I was comfortable. This opportunity came up uh, pretty complicated, how it all came up, you know, and uh, right introductions, right things, and uh, and uh, 
I thought the opportunity was there. I always looked at Union Pacific from outside and thought, boy, oh, boy, oh, love to get my uh, operating uh, uh-huh. background onto that uh, company. So when the opportunity happened, that's why I came back to work. So, so, uh, so 40 years with, uh, with, with uh, CN, of course, when you started, it was the, the, the Crown Corporation, Canadian National, and you've done it all. Uh, you've you've uh, you started in uh, in high school, a summer job, and uh, then went, went into uh, went into management. And uh, so you locomotive engineer. Uh, you've done everything really. Uh, that's yeah. quite a background. Well, listen, thank you. You know, you learn from it. You, you're able to uh, learn, and you make mm-hmm. lots of mistakes as you grow. You you meet a lot of people you learn from a lot of people and that's the benefit of having a long career and uh, it was a great like I've said before great company still like to see them succeed their CEO JJ Rue I know I know real well worked with him and I love what he's doing over there he's a smart guy does a great job and you know people in the industry uh, you know they're competing against CP Keith Creel is there I worked yeah. directly for mm-hmm. him a number of years another uh, another guy who knows yeah. his business knows how to railroad smart guy and it's nice to see everybody in the industry doing well so you were part of part of the team uh, led by Hunter Harrison uh, when he came on board uh, that implemented the what's now the most commonly used acronym in this industry PSR right. precision scheduled uh, railroading and uh, You've, uh, you know, CN has uh, refined it, uh, I would say, and um, now you're charged with bringing it to Union Pacific and with the uh, Unified Plan 2020, as it's called. Right. So, what uh, what have you brought from? Because CN and UP, as you well know, are two very different different operations. So, what? Tell me about, about what you brought to UP. You know, what did you take from CN to bring to UP to implement this this plan? Well, listen, I'm an operating guy. You know, I spent yeah. I spent time at uh, CN in uh, marketing and sales a couple of times, and I really enjoyed it. But uh, I love going to see what you can do, and I think where everybody. Ma- not everybody, but a lot of people make a mistake with PSR is they think it's all about making cuts in, in uh, assets, mm-hmm. driving it to the last asset that you need, other anything that you have excess you get rid of, and then uh, you see what happens to the railroad. And But in actual fact, what it always has been is you deliver the service that you contracted or sold to the customer at the most efficient method so that you don't waste a lot of assets and you use the railroad in a smart way and you're able to fill it and use it so that you don't spend a lot of money to, to keep on expanding it when you can use the railroad in a smart way but it comes back to good service and good operation that's what it's all about and that's if I was taught anything and I think a lot of people when I came to uh, Union Pacific thought oh here's another guy <laughs> who's gonna come in yeah. and slash and burn and cause a whole bunch of disruptions in service. And I'll tell you right now, okay, one year in, just over one year, our service has never been better. We took intermodal service, and that's measuring it from when the customer gives us the container to the we deliver it to them. We are now in the 80% range and getting up, and I know we have to get into the 90s to be, uh, you know, to be able to beat other forms of transportation, but we're in the 80s and we were in the 40s. 
in terms ago, of uh, percentage to be able to deliver them okay. when they gave it to us to the trip plan set to the, for to the, the plan. Right. Okay. So mm -hmm. you know that's what we're working on is uh, we're over ninety percent now on our first mile, last mile, the last piece and the first piece that we mm -hmm. measure. Uh, you know, so we have to close the gap on the over the road piece a little bit, but uh, it's all it's about yeah. service. Yeah. If we want to grow, which we do want to grow. You have to move to the, you have to provide a level of service that the customer wants to come in and work with you, and it makes the business sticky. So, but we don't want a whole bunch of assets sitting around. And Union yeah. Pacific, I'll be right up front about it. When, before, the reason I came was I could see it, the opportunity. And we have 2,500 locomotives parked. Mm -hmm. we, yes. only, we only use. We've seen photos. Yeah, we only <laughs> use 3,500 of them a day. Yeah. Uh -huh. So uh, high horsepower. So if we're using you know thirty five hundred to thirty eight hundred, we get two thousand of them parked. Mm -hmm. So we had that many excess. So uh, in terms of the plan, the operating plan, can you go into some detail about that? Is it uh, a car based plan, a train based plan? Uh, you know what what goes into the plan in terms of movement planning? How far down do you drill? Well, you have to start with a car plan. Okay. Always with a car plan. You cannot build a, the system from a train plan and say, we'll see what happens to the rail cars. So you put the mix of where the cars want to go, and then you build the train plan from that. And from that, you, you build your locomotive plan, and you build the people plan and everything else that you need on top of it. But, you know, this whole discussion that people talk about that, you know, we're finally going to look at the cars you have to look at the cars it's always been that way and if you ever look at put it would be like putting a plane on on a run and you don't know if anybody lives at origin or destination so you look at where the business is first and then you decide how you do that mm -hmm. so that's what we do Take the business that you have and i'll, I'll be absolutely and locomotives is an easy one but it's the same with rail cars it's the same with intermodal flat cars it's the same with uh, box cars that we own it's the same with chassis that we own mm -hmm. right all these yeah. things have a cost and if you don't have a clear understanding of what you can get out of them then you have too many and when we started parking locomotives we never parked locomotives because we wanted to be short of locomotives we want to have enough locomotives and some spare locomotives ready to go just in case you have weather I've been around for way too long I've seen and I lived and worked in Canada I've seen what a cold snap in Canada yes. and the prairies will do to a network and what you need for assets and mm -hmm. people to put them in there to operate. So that's what it's all about is, is is building it so that it PSR so that you can give the service to the customers that you sold, that you agreed on, and be able to move the assets. And we can do that. And when you can do that, mm -hmm. you spend $3 million on a locomotive mm -hmm. and we parked 2,000 of them. UP should have never purchased them. That still leaves us 500 spare just in case. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'll let you do the math. Okay. Three yeah. million uh, okay. for a new one times uh, 2,000. Times 2,000, yeah. That's that's uh, a lot of zeros after that figure. A lot figure. of zeros yeah. after that. But everybody at some point has been affected by the weather. So right. uh, how did your or the UP operating plan help you uh, recover from that? In addition to what railroads always do when there's some kind of natural disaster is just get right in and, and, and 
in simple terms, fix the track. Right. <laughs> Put it back in service. You know, I give I give every railroad a lot of credit. The one thing about us is we we do get in and fix things quick. I've never seen a railroad that sort of waits for something to happen. Something happens to their network, they jump in. Union Pacific, if you if you operate an efficient system with more capacity, and that's why I'm so proud of you know our train size is up double digits. Doesn't matter depending on when you measure it. Mm -hmm. So we have less trains running with, this, with the same amount or more business in certain lanes, gives us more capacity, and it's easier to recover. And that's what we did last year. You know, We went through s significant once-in-a-lifetime events like closing down our east-west main line from Chicago all the way through Nebraska. Mm -hmm. And um, you know nobody had seen that before for that length of time. And we recovered real quick because we had the a few excess assets that we want to keep, locomotives that we could put in to operate. People, we never cut it down to the last person that we might need. So you carry a few extra people and you run an efficient uh, system, you recover quicker. And that's what we were able to do. And you make the tough decisions on what traffic goes first, which which okay. traffic do you recover with. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to admit I had some funny looks when I said that we were going to shut down our intermodal business for four days over a weekend and not take anything in. Mm -hmm. And we ran our manifest because it's much more complicated running our manifest. You have to switch every car. Right? Yes. Yeah. So okay. uh, we started running that, and I, I know I got a couple of weird looks, but uh, at the end of it, I think uh, proofs in the pudding. It worked out real quick. We recovered yeah. really quick. Everybody was uh, our customers and uh, everybody in the company figured out it was the thing to do. Now, in, in terms of the uh, uh, the infrastructure, uh, running longer trains. Um, uh, things like siding length, uh, signal block spacing. Right. Were there adjustments that had to be made to accommodate longer consist meets and passes? Uh, how, what did you have to do, if anything? So, um, you know, being a locomotive engineer from a long time ago, I used to operate trains that were 6,000 feet long, and you're used to that length, and the railroad mm -hmm. was built at CN at that length, and UP was built in some areas over 7,000 feet, but in other areas, double track, triple track, yeah. where the length was not important. Mm -hmm. But the, you hit it right on the nail, and I, I like it. You've got some some background on the railroad. You understand the signaling, so you have to make sure that the signaling is set up right yes. so they can stop yeah. the longer mm -hmm. trains. But with being able to put locomotives in the middle and the back of the train or placing them in there, it's like operating uh, one two trains but the actually distributed power, distributed yeah, power. that evens out the in-train forces and, and so all that it, yeah you know, it's a different locomotive engineer they have to have a way more skill level so you train them in that and you make sure that they understand how to do that and then we we are spending capital to put sidings yeah. in that are mm -hmm. longer so that we can meet some of these trains so uh, otherwise we can't operate them i know i'll give you an example el paso west uh you know, we have enough double track and enough long sidings, that, and we put some in last year that we can operate the trains right. the length that we want. That's the former, that's the Sunset Route. The, exactly. The, the, the former SP, yeah. South, Southern Pacific Route. Beautiful yeah. piece of railroad. Yeah. Absolutely mm -hmm. gorgeous. And, and we're going to, this year, finish off El Paso to Chicago, mm. El Paso through uh, uh, Fort Worth, in, headed towards Atlanta, and then the Southern uh, Route through mm -hmm. Houston that we want to finish off this year. Now, I, I wanted to ask you about the, uh, uh, the intermodal service, particularly the interchange. Uh, now, there was, a, at one point... Um, there was some service changes, uh, 
uh, having to do with direct interchange with Norfolk Southern, the east and west. Right. Uh, and then that was, I think there were some interchanges that were, that were taken out of service. Uh, but then some of them were re reinstituted. Can, can, you go, can you go through that, explain? Because uh, there might be some misperception about, about that. Uh, so, again, uh, it's very simple. If it makes sense for both the railroads to operate a, a steel wheel, meaning that the containers stay, you load them up at the, somewhere on the UP system or the uh, other railroad system, and you hand them off, if it makes sense, and they get the destination, and the rail cars come back and the containers and you've got a great flow back and forth, then you do that. If it's a small volume going to 52 different lanes, it doesn't make sense to hold traffic in different places to consolidate it and then send them. You're better off to ship them to Chicago and then truck them the last piece. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's truly just a, a business that you have to look at on an individual lane that makes sense. And I know some people have said, you know, UP opened up some lanes. Yeah, we opened them up, but not by direct rail at this point because the volume wasn't there. But we figured, we thought it was uh, there was enough volume to be able to use the rail cars, take it into a place like a G4 or a G2, mm -hmm. one of our two terminals mm -hmm. in Chicago, and then truck them the last piece. Or truck them to uh, the other railroad, whichever other railroad in Chicago was uh, going to do the last haul and we yeah. truck it over to their ramp. The drayage, yeah. But yeah. that's it. We're, yeah. we're not into. Yeah. We're not into. This is not. This is not uh, so complicated. Does it make sense for us to take a container from the West Coast, take it to somebody in Eastern U.S. and all the handoffs and be able to do that? And if it doesn't, I'm not wasting assets. Like you're not going to send a rail car with one container that could hold 10 containers, send it to another railroad to have them sit for three days and then come back to you. And by that time, in mm -hmm. 54 hours, I, we have a schedule at UP that'll take us all the way from uh, Chicago to the West Coast. So in 54 hours, I can run that container, that car full of containers, all the way to the West Coast. Some say that, oh, the railroads aren't chasing the carload traffic, and they should. Others say, well, no, that's not a viable business. But what, what's your perspective on that? I love carload business. It's actually actually some of the best for us in being able to fill the network and be able to run it efficiently. If we grew the carload business uh, 2% next year, then that 2% will probably go on the same trains that we're operating today. Lower cost addition in running operating trains, lower cost in the switching costs. We've been able to uh, you know, remove touch points on our cars. So I, I love it, and uh, we have challenged our marketing people to get out there and go find those the cars that we thought we didn't want to handle, whether it was 10 cars from some shipper yeah. in Iowa. Mm -hmm. We want that yeah. business on mm -hmm. our railroad. It's, we can handle it. We can handle it efficiently, and we're just, and we're, well, we're going to get better. The nice part about it is the first year of changing the railroad, the low-hanging fruit, you know, you go yeah. after the units, the excess locomotives. The next piece is there's still more locomotives to come out. There's still more efficiency on how you operate the terminals. All those things that we've improved on, but anything that we can do to bring in business and grow the business allows us to be even more efficient than where we are today and opens up more avenue to have more mm -hmm as you and I talk about a boxcar business, which is, you know, the automotive business. Yeah. The, the containers, not the containers, but the, the reefer car business that mm -hmm. we operate. All of that mm -hmm. is real beneficial to us, and we want it on the railroad. Which brings me to ask you about 
uh, first mile, last mile, short lines and regionals, your, your short line and regional class two and class three partners. Uh, how have these partners, as, as we like to call them, right. as you like to call them, how have they fit into the, uh, the PSR uh, mix? There's, there, there's mixed feelings about that. Some, some will say, oh, it's great, you know, we like it because, because the, uh, uh, you know, the, the interchange is more reliable. Others are not so, not so keen on it. What's been, from what's, the, yeah, I, I think, yeah I think from their perspective, from what's, their perspective, what's, yeah. I think it's a, the more we can become scheduled and we both know what we're going to be doing, then it helps both the short line and it hope, helps the class one railroad. But I don't see us as two separate parties. Mm -hmm. We are better at doing some things in a short line. Okay. We are not better at doing some things than a short line. Right. A short line is much better at uh, building business within their railroad. Yeah, being able the to entrepreneurial have, side absolutely, and yes. contacting customers. So mm -hmm. we need to truly be on the same page and say, what can we do? But when both both the short line and the class one are aligned on what the business is and what the service is, and the class one Union Pacific can deliver to that interchange at the right time, and they can then service the customer at the right time that we agreed to, that just helps us build the business in the long run so I don't see anything and there's places where I know Union Pacific could not manage all the little places that we would have in the railroad while a short line can do a better job than us in certain mm -hmm. places and if not then uh, yeah. we'd have to deal with them or they'd have to deal with us and yeah. we need to speak up about it mm -hmm. but how does how does PTC um, how has it Im impacted your play your, your operating plan I think uh, we're just identifying ways that we're going to be able to use the communication that happens with the locomotive and the train in a real time to be able to help us mm -hmm. to be able to provide a better product to our customers and also feedback on how well the network is operating. Built. That's mm -hmm. that's what's going to happen with PTC. You know, I think we were headed to communicate with the locomotives anyways and the train in a different manner. But we can overlay on top of the PTC system that uh, now communicates with the uh, with the field, and it'll change from uh, the technology how the locomotive engineer looks at the information flow. We can get the information flow quicker. We can have the dispatch center uh, realize exactly where the train is for meets, and it mm -hmm. really does change, and it'll help us improve our product even more. What changes did uh, did you have to make, uh, or do you see coming? For, for the, the traffic control system? Well, most of the Union Pacific is covered with a uh, centralized traffic control system mm -hmm. or ABS that you know tells you where the trains are, so it's mm -hmm. an automated system, dispatcher controlled. and So we already are built that way, so it's great. But uh, the biggest difference was all of a sudden we had more capacity on the railroad mm -hmm. because you know, you know, we're operating 20% uh, less trains than we mm -hmm. were last year with, with our businesses down, but we're two or three times more on the train uh, starts down from mm -hmm. where we were last year. And second is, is we made a major change. Trains dictate where the meet is, is when are they gonna be there? Yes. And that's what it is. It's not anymore, 
you hold one back and you try to keep one in some direction running because you're worried about whether a terminal can take it or whatever. It's you, The meat dictates where the, the stop is going to be for one of the trains when they go by if you're not in a double tracker. So that's a little change in the philosophy of how we mm -hmm. think. Traffic is going to come back. It always does. Right. You know, it's, it's cyclical. It's with the economy. Um, will the railroads will Union Pacific of course I know the answer is yes but <laughs> but the uh, be prepared to handle more volume that's the key here because we have to be able to handle more volume well this is the way business. this is the way I think and uh, so this is the way Union Pacific's going to operate one is is we're not cutting to the last locomotive we know that uh, we want to keep 500 locomotives ready to go any time that we can turn them on and within a couple hours be ready to go. So we've parked them, we don't need them, but we're not taking parts off of them and not be able to mm -hmm. turn them on. And 500 is yeah. a big number. That's a lot of business or a lot of weather events that we can react to. We carry extra people to switch cars, so we do that on purpose. So if you have the people and you have the locomotives and the customer gives you the rail cars to move it, then what you need is capacity. And what we've been able to do with capacity is we are 20% faster. But when you're faster and you have less trains and you're faster through a terminal, let the business come. If the business shows up and we have a big increase in business, we're ready. I've re we really are. We have the, you know, the only thing we might have to do if it comes back too fast is hire people and uh, get them on get them trained so that we can get them on the railroad but even that we carry some excess so mm -hmm. that'd be a great problem to have to have yeah i've been caught short in my career okay where business came on and surprised us at uh, you know where i worked before and i'll tell you it's the last thing i want to do is go through that again classification yard uh structure um what what has been done to uh, with, with with class yards to um hump yards or flat switching to uh, to accommodate the new operating plan. You build the plan, like I said earlier on, from the car up. You look at where the cars are coming on and where the very first rail yard that's going to touch those cars is and where are they all headed. And they're headed, for us, if you look at the network and the spider that we have, they could start in Houston but they might end up in Los Angeles or Sacramento or uh, mm -hmm. up in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. They're going to CN, CP, uh, Atlanta. So they go everywhere. But you build the plan against that. And if there's a location where you need a hump yard, like in Houston, okay, in our hump yard in Houston, there's enough traffic that wants to come into Houston and leave Houston that can be dispersed. We're keeping that hump yard. There is nothing more efficient than a hump yard. But what we're not going to do is like UP was doing before is you'd get cars that came to Houston. Then instead of them going all the way up to Minneapolis-St. Paul to be able to go serve the final customer, UP used to automatically send them to Kansas City to get split up again. <laughs> and then from Kansas City they'd go up. So every time you touch them in a rail yard, something could happen to them or you delay them for a day or longer. So. That's what it's all about on classification yards is, is we've shut down five or six big classification yards. And uh, I did, you know, I'll have to admit, I did get some reaction to start off with mm -hmm. uh, saying, holy cow, how are we going to operate? We are faster. We move cars quicker. We touch them less. And that's what it's all about. So that's, that's what we're trying to do. And, and Brazos, 
you know, to be absolute frank. Yeah, listen, Brazos big, Yard, yeah. Big project, mm -hmm. never needed it. If we mm -hmm. looked at the railroad the way it should have been, now, you know, we spent the 300 plus million on that, so we're going to have to repurpose it to use it for something. And, uh, you know, there's lots of things that we've come up with as the business comes on that we should be able to use it as a flat yard of some sort. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's we need to switch them at Houston. We need to switch them at uh, Fort Worth. We need to switch the cars at Little Rock, the places that we have and where they should be instead of the middle of nowhere. You know, it would be like building a the biggest airport in the U.S. and mm -hmm. put, it, put it in the middle of Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> just in and driving everything to there where you've already touched it at origin. You know, sometimes okay. people want to go from L.A. to New York. They don't want to stop somewhere to change planes and amalgamate everything to send it out. And that's what Brazos is. I cannot see it as a hump yard in my career. Mm -hmm. And I'm only 61 years old. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the uh, one of the foundations of uh, scheduled railroading, precision railroading, or is uh, just minimizing the number of times you have to, as you say, touch a car, whether it's you know, switch it out or whatever. It's yes, sir. That's you know that to mi minimize that, just keep keep the traffic moving. Correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That you know it, that's what you look at. Whether it's uh, whether it's you can add a few cars, few cars on a coal train. And we've done that. So we've, we've actually looked at origin, destination, and trains used to be X in size. And son of a gun, we figured out a way to add two or three cars on it. It doesn't sound like a big deal, but for the railroad, you know, if you're running 100, 100 trains over there and you could put two or three cars on it, it's 200 more cars of revenue, and we're moving it with the same fuel and the same uh, run with the rest. Mm -hmm. So it's all those little things that you have to look at the cars, what you can maximize, and if you can not touch them as often, if they go from origin to destination without being touched, all the better. They really, the trains just go through. It's and we, we have trains now that go all the way from just outside of Baton Rouge to LA mm -hmm. without cars some of the cars ever stopping and getting off they go that whole distance they get inspected uh, you know halfway over but they but nobody actually touches the cars switches them they stay on the train the whole way it's pretty cool so it's a cumulative effect when you're talking about hundreds of train starts uh, thousands of cars moving you know a little bit here right. a little bit there tends to uh, amalgamate or coalesce if you absolutely. may into it absolutely you know uh -huh. you have these hubs that that uh, originate a lot of traffic. Mm -hmm. You use them in a smart way, mo most efficient. You invest in, in them to make them the most efficient and the best. Like when Union Pacific's gonna have a rail yard that's, that humps cars, it's gonna be the best. Mm -hmm. Like we're not gonna be cheap about what, what we spend on mm -hmm. it to make it the most efficient. It'll mm -hmm. have enough receiving, enough departure, the class tracks work properly. That hump system is gonna be the latest. You know, we're in inputting, uh, we're implementing a smart yard Yes. Be able to yeah. be able to uh, switch on the cars that are coming in instead of doing it just because that was the old history. To be able to make them run even faster, we're going to give the uh, the yardmasters technology that will help them make the decisions even better, and in fact make the decisions for them most of the time. So mm -hmm. very excited. We're going to run them the best possible. I wanted to. Uh ask you about empowerment about uh, how this uh, how the operating plan 
drills down to the local level and local decision making and right. tying that in with uh, uh, you've shown me some very interesting um, measurements uh, productivity right. and uh, some, that sort of thing so so bill you you need to uh, you need to have a clear set of measures not so many of them that people get confused of what's what you're trying to do so you know key measures uh, size of train velocity crew handling touch points all the key ones of what you do and you have to drive the measurements back to the individual at the front line so that they understand how they fit into the fit into it so if they're operating a yard with uh, that serves 10 customers that has four or five uh, switch engines in it if they can figure out a way to be able to make it more efficient and provide the service that's what you want and you want and it's all about empowering and if you can believe it, and I'll, I'll say it, and there's mm -hmm. no big secret. Sure. When I joined UP, not very many levels could see on a daily basis. It was only the very top of the house that could see revenue, how much money that we made yesterday and how much in the last week. And it was very important to me to say, what should drive everything is, is where's your revenue? And it should drive your workload and what you're doing with everything at the every level. And I'm all about empowering people at the front line empowering people to make decisions and never be afraid to make a mistake and if you make a mistake own up to it learn from it and move on I made a mistake I changed the, the order we service customers because I thought it was going to make it better and it made it worse so what to learn from it and move ahead so I'm all for that and I see that but culture takes a while to change yeah and part of that empowering has to do with uh, making the metrics available at many levels absolutely. correct absolutely so a person gets up in the morning at six o'clock in the morning you look at the railroad and your little piece and you're, you're sitting in uh, in El Paso Texas and you say so how, do, how many cars came through here yesterday how did we do how much overtime what are we up to very clear clean measures put them in front of them mm -hmm. and what you find is people want to get better they want to win they don't want to be second place they don't yeah. want to have somebody else better and uh, Union Pacific has every every opportunity to have the most efficient railroad by a long shot in North America and have the best service of anybody and be able to grow the business better than anybody mm -hmm. just because of our network that we're blessed with. So the only reason we don't do that is if we lose sight of what the goal is and we don't have the proper leadership to deliver it. And uh, I'm very comfortable that we're headed the right way. So uh, let's talk about the other uh, acronym uh, to PSR. That's uh, OR, operating ratio. That's as the chief operating officer. What is your perspective on on operating ratio? You never drive the business to deliver a better operating ratio. You you drive the business on what you agreed to deliver for the customer, and you build a long-term sustainable railroad so that you can have the cash flow to come in to replenish the railroad, operate it in a safe manner, and provide good service to the customers, and make revenue for the owners of the company. That's what it is, long-term sustainable. What happens is, is the operating ratio is a result of being able to operate smart. Why operate with 5,000 locomotives when you can operate with 3,500 and give better service? And we're doing that. So those 1,500 high horsepower locomotives that we parked, and I'm rounding, so yeah. I got it mm -hmm. before I said 2,000, but okay. 1,500, then 
it's going to help our help our operating ratio. Mm -hmm. We have less locomotives. It helps our capital planning. We don't have to go buy locomotives. It helps us that every locomotive costs us somewhere around one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year to operate. That's that's not yeah. fuel. Not that's fuel. Not fuel. That's <laughs> okay. oil changes. You know, right? Really Just <laughs> basic oil maintenance. Oil changes, yeah. wheels, inspections. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. All that. So if you can park a park a lot of them, then it helps your operating ratio. What the team was able to deliver last year, Bill, we we operate did a sixty point six operating ratio in the last uh, few quarters. We were under sixty, and there's no reason for us not to improve on that. You know, we are going to have the best operating ratio in the industry, no events or buts, and it's because of what uh, what we're doing. Well, it's because you you come from a uh, a railroad CN, which has been able to do both really, uh, be extremely efficient. Uh, have a, uh, a very favorable or low operating ratio, but at the same time provide excellent service and grow the business. So, listen, uh, it seems to me like great company. You're trying to do the C same thing yeah, here. Yeah, you know, I spent 40 years at CN, and uh, and absolutely great company, exactly the same, and they've done a great job of it. I give, uh, I mentioned JJ earlier on in our discussion, and uh, all the people that are there, they've done a great job. That's it for this edition of Rail Group On Air. Thank you to Jim Vena, to Union Pacific, and to our sponsor, the Greenbrier Companies. Be sure to check out Virtual Sample Railcar, VSR, at go.gbrx.com virtual. This is Railway Age Editor-in-Chief William C. Vantuono. Thanks for listening, and have a safe day.